I'm Nick Lubber. I'm John B. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Nick, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm... I'm Excuse me, that's my insulin pod beeping. That's a good part of my introduction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Nick Lover. I'm a type 1 diabetic. It uh, might be a nice thing to know. But no, I'm a, a, a software quality engineer by trade. But most people might know me online as a contributor to a lot of DuckFeed TV projects, podcast network that does a lot of video game related stuff. Cool. Uh, so check them out if, uh, if you like podcasts and haven't heard from before. And if you're looking for me, most specifically, I've guessed it on basically every show in the network, but I'm not doing any shows myself there now. But anytime we do any sort of live events, especially our charity marathon that we do every year, um, I'm heavily involved in all that. So, keep an eye to the ground for that sort of stuff. What did the pod have to say? Oh, it's it's telling me that soon I need to replace it, but we've got time. It's just going to do that every hour just to bug me. Uh, the, the pod telegraphed its own death? Yes. <laughs> It knows that it, it's it's uh, time is ending very soon, and it wants to wants me to know I must be mourning it very soon. Is it adorable? Uh, it's pretty cute. It kind of looks like you know the the robot that was uh, signaled as female in Wally. Yeah, yeah. That it looks a little bit like that kind of white plastic. So more and... sexy then. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how much to mourn it. <laughs> Uh, I do have to replace them every three days. Like, oh, I, I do have to mourn a lot of them at a very uh, quick clip. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a hard life you live. <laughs> John, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, already gave my name. Uh, I'm on Twitter at you old so-and-so, also on the Topic Lords Discord under that name. Uh, I really have nothing to plug. I do lots of dumb garbage on Twitter, but none of it is like durable. It's all pretty ephemeral jokes and such some people i don't know follow me for some reason so <laughs> i must be doing something okay yeah good for you uh, i will plug I, I will plug the general concept of mathematics uh, if you haven't checked it out in a while uh, it's pretty cool what's your what's your favorite mathematic overall hard to say but i do have a fondness for president garfield's proof of the pythagorean theorem before oh, wow. he was president okay that's that's going in the show notes <laughs> yeah, i'll have to take a look at that one <laughs> fun party trick <laughs> I would assume. Not going to a lot of parties. Are we Are we ready for some topics? Yeah, let's do it. I've got nothing better to do, so let's go. All right, Nick, your topic is Micro Game Jam's Weekend of ZZT. Yeah, so I wanted to, you know, have us discuss more broadly Micro Game Jams, but uh, specific to me, I participated in my, my first one. And by micro, I mean a very small number of people with a very small audience. I have a lot of friends who are uh, old ZZT hats from from way back in the day, mm -hmm. and for the past uh, year or two, they've been uh, doing kind of a seasonal little game jam of of ZZT games that they call Weekend of ZZT. We try and throw a ZZT game together around some topic or a myriad of them in a weekend. And uh, I, I jumped in the pool this uh, earlier this month and uh, and made a ZZT game. My first uh, first look at the engine ended up winning winning our little contest where I made a. Uh, a game called Fallout Miami, the pilot episode, <laughs> and uh, and did what I could to try and make some decent art in, in ZZT and made a little kind of adventure game that was mostly just a fetch quest after fetch quest until you uh, made two AI fall in love with each other and cause a nuclear reactor to explode. Very cool. <laughs> so, have you guys participated in any sort of smaller type game jam things or familiar with anything of that sort? 
I fooled around with WarioWare DIY. That's pretty much the extent of my game development. And I, I did make nice. one. I did make one micro game. I was pretty proud of it. Uh, if I can dig it up, or at least video of it off of my Wii, I'll uh, I'll add that to the show notes. But yeah, WarioWare DIY always looked real cool, and I was sad when it went away. And I'm hoping someone figured out how to archive all those games on another Discord. I think it was the Spelunky one. Well, it was, I know it was the Spelunky one. Why did I say I think? Uh, I, did look, I did look up on archive.org. There are some uh, save files of the micro games there. Obviously, cool. it's, obviously, it's difficult to search for a particular one because of the way the Wii file system works. Right. There might, there might be a way, but, but there is a... They've at, le- they've at least archived... There was a, uh, a series of kind of curated games that Nintendo themselves commissioned various indie game developers and uh, uh, other people in the, in the Nintendo fold to do. And I think those are at least all archived. I know I personally put got them onto my machine before the service went away. Yeah, that's cool. That's so someday maybe you'll be able to play those in a browser or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whenever whenever they implement Dolphin, like they've done with DOSBox. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So there's an exclusive uh Shantae and a Super Meat Boy game there. Oh, that's in neat. Warrior DIY. It was the it was the only Meat Boy game to actually come out for the Wii after uh <laughs> after many after many uh, months and possibly years of pro, uh, previews in Nintendo Power. Yeah, wow. yeah, I, I remember that drama. They were they were unable to get the music small enough to be uh, uh, a, a permitted download. Yep. I think it had to be under fifty megs. Yeah, that's, maybe all of WiiWare was a micro game jam. Yeah, right. All the games. Right. <laughs> so, so quickly before we move off there, uh, since I I won that last one, I have to come up with the topic or topics of the next one. I was wondering if there's any. What was the What was the topic of the one you won? So the 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 one who uh, judged the previous one, he gave us like uh, like twenty topics and said, uh, "Try and fit four of these in." Oh. Um. So they ended up being like one of the topics was a sand demon, a demon that can only exist on sand and is formed of the sand, and a uh, the one I centralized most of mine around was a uh, a nuclear uh, power plant going critical. All right. Uh, but it was just a huge list of them. But most typically, the ones previous to that have just been a choice between two pretty broad topics. So, a more typical type game jam situation there. And yeah. the one that I've uh, I've been really circling on so far is um, Apocrypha or Lost Work. And I think that'd be a really neat way to... Uh, a neat topic that can be integrated in very... Like, the game could be itself like you discovered a Lost Work or it can incorporate that in some way into the story. I was wondering if you guys had anything else that sounds real cool like that for a good game jam topic. Did you did you see my tweet about uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Except it's all kaiju. <laughs> no, but that sounds great. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty excellent. Uh, I so I've done a um I've done a bunch of game jams in the past decade. Um, and I'm trying to think of what the smallest one was. It might have been uh, we did a, a jam as part of Hypoclock. That was based around the the share cart. I don't know what the share cart platform. I guess you'd say share cart is a save format that is the idea is like you have a very fixed data set that you can you can have in your save file, and all the games that support share cart will save to that format and load from that format. So you can oh yeah import your save from any of the other games that that are that are share cart games. And they're just like the most famous share card game is probably Fjords by I forget who, 
but um, it was called the Teak Heart Jam, and we made um, my team made the Mystery of Skull Island for it, which is like a visual novel type thing where you're uh, dating a Bond villain, uh, and that was that was fun. How did you How did you guys manage to? Like a visual novel seems a a, a weird uh, way to go about a save format that you can get a wide array of inputs from, right? So if I remember right, uh, the save format was like three numbers and eight booleans or something like that. Oh wow! Or, that, or maybe there's a string as well. It, it's very very specific and constrained. Um, and so what we ended up doing was like the three numbers were how much. Dr. Spezzo likes you and how much his two henchmen <laughs> like you. And the eight booleans were specific accomplishments that you'd made. Like you'd found the key to Linda's gun safe or you've freed the mutant crocodiles. Wow. And um, all the endings were were predicated on specific combinations of accomplishments. That's pretty cool. Did the, did the uh, entries into that get made public at any point? Yeah, those are all on itch. Um, cool, let's take a look. Yeah, my my experience, and and some of them are some of those games are cool, but my experience with actually trying to sh- share saves between them is that usually the the numbers are so like the way they use the numbers are so different th- that the game loads into a completely meaningless state. Right. <laughs> yeah. As I was listening along, that's that's a that's what sounded like might happen. Right. <laughs> right. Because like, for example, you know, I think it's like a, the meaningful range of values for how much Dr. Spezzo likes you is pretty small. And, but some other game might have your score in there and it might be in the billions, you know? I wonder if you could run that through some kind of like hash function or something to make it more interesting. (laughs) I don't know. I don't program, but. (laughs) (laughs) It it made me think about like, um, when I was a kid, I. Made, I wrote a QBasic program to generate random game genie codes. Oh, yeah. And I made a printout. I filled a sheet of printer paper with them and went downstairs and and entered them into Super Mario Brothers. And like a bunch of them were interesting into Super Mario Brothers. And then I tried entering them into different different games and mostly didn't get anything interesting. And what I kind of realized... I'm not I'm actually not sure like what at what point I realized this if it was like at the time or years later but that really stuck with me and I I, I at some point realized that the reason that Super Mario Brothers has these interesting results is that there's so little code in that game. Right. And so like uh and and every frame a huge percentage of it is going to be touched and 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 affect the the outcome of what you see. And so, like, uh, touching a random part of it, altering it is going to have a meaningful effect. Whereas, like, a, a bigger game, like, you might not touch that piece of code until the last level, for example. Yeah, not it might not be anything on your screen. Right. A, a big thing I've seen a lot of uh, YouTube folks do, especially uh, Vinny from Vine Sauce, is uh, run games through, like, a corruptor that just, like, flips bits on ROMs. Yeah. <laughs> and... So he he gets a lot of like packs of of interesting results people have gotten from running Mario or various other you know eight and sixteen bit era games through just programs that just flip bits to see what comes out the end. That's basically what I was doing. Yeah, um, that sounds very cool. I would love to see some interesting outcomes of that. 
Yeah, right. He he does like a, a he's a Twitch streamer primarily, so you can find like three hour compilations of him just going through these packs that people have sent him of corrupted ROMs. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite like counter not not counter example, but like example of like uh, how how much uh, like a tiny corruption can get lost in a very big game is I was um like one of the uh, one of the companies I was working for we had this. Uh, PC that was generating, like it, we discovered there was a bug where it was generating different hashes of the same large file. Like you would generate a, a hash of this like multiple gigabyte file and then generate it again immediately afterwards and the results would be different. And we eventually traced this back to like this was intended to be a gaming PC and I think the RAM had been overclocked <laughs> such that like there was just very occasionally going to be, uh, and very occasionally meaning like maybe once a second, right. <laughs> going to be a bit error. And if you're playing a video game, that's going to be like a a minuscule texture corruption, like that no one would ever notice, or like a, a little audio hiccup at most. Right. So the chances of it like hitting something that's going to crash the game or have a meaningful effect are minuscule. Like I, that reminds me of this. Uh, there's a, a video of a Mario 64 uh, glitch that someone encountered while speedrunning it, where they they jumped up a, a pretty great height and they don't know how it happened. The up warp, yeah, yeah. So there's a huge bounty about it, and at this point, I think it, everyone's basically just said that must have been like a solar ray hit the right thing and flipped it <laughs> <in> somewhere. <laughs> right, yeah, right. It just couldn't be. I, and I think I, I can't remember if this is the case or not, but I seem to remember that somebody replicated it by just flipping a bit at random. I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of reminds me too of uh, well, the Gama Sutra had an article about, you know, the worst bug you had to hunt down or something. Or, or no, it wasn't that one. It was the one about Crash Bandicoot and they had the, oh, yeah. the huge save bug that turned out to be some really esoteric thing with the way memory ma- management worked and how the memory card program worked. Yeah, yeah, that's I'll I'll link to that one. That was a very good story. I think it had to do with like I think it was actually like caused by quantum physics. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh one other thing uh before we were talking about the share card format. I hadn't heard of it before, but it did remind me. It turned out by complete accident in the way they were structured that Zelda a link to the past and Super Metroid have like some compatibility in their map file size or something like that. <laughs> So that there is a there is the uh, randomizer hack that combines t- both games into one, where wow. <laughs> where when you go through a door in uh, Zelda, you might end up in Super Metroid or vice versa, <laughs> and items for one game are found in the other. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So if you're doing that kind of game jam again, it might be good to uh, you know have a small collaboration team with two projects that are designed to interact like that. I do think that would be a much more fruitful exercise than like. 30 people, you know, all making different games and hoping something interesting comes from mashing them together. Right. Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, let's do it. I think so. John, your topic is the primary motivation for information acquisition being grist for making and understanding jokes. Yep. (laughs) What's the deal with that? Anybody else get that feeling? (laughs) I, I have like... Definitely thought about how like, hmm, if I really want to connect with the youth of today, I better watch the TV shows they're watching. And then I'm like, who has that kind of time? Yeah. <laughs> the the best is when like you miss just like a, a trend on Twitter that lasted a day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just see like everybody complaining about something about cake. And I'm like, what the hell are you guys all talking about cake for? 
I think based on what I saw of uh, Jim's tweet, we all had that same experience. <laughs> With the cake, it's, yeah. It's, it's fun living on the West Coast because half the time, <laughs> if, if you're not paying attention to Twitter in the morning, you're never going to be able to scroll down and, and see what's happening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this, this uh, knowledge acquisition, um, I've always been one of those people who just acquires random knowledge and stuff. I'm, I'm pretty good at Jeopardy. I've tried out a couple of times. You know, a lot of the way I use it in my daily life is just to make jokes or understand other jokes. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of a lot of uh, other hyper-literate comedy like uh, The Simpsons, Mystery Science Theater, uh, Monty Python, yeah. Yeah. obviously, and, uh, and also Gilmore Girls, which I had on here as an, an alternate topic. But they're so dense with information that they are both uh, a source of new knowledge and, and also enhanced by, by actually knowing those things. Yeah. So it's kind of the cycle that, that feeds in. I, I kind of, in some ways, admire the uh, the the riff tracks approach to life, the MST3K approach, where like every sensory input becomes uh, it just goes into the mill where someone where you're looking to make a make a, a joke out of it. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, that's exhausting <laughs> uh, for for both the person doing it and people around them a lot of the time. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think I made a joke about it myself in the Discord before this episode, or rather, <laughs> stole someone else's. Yeah, that's my experience using Twitter. Is uh, <laughs> it's it's all grist for the mill. I and uh, a lot of it is automatic. I'll have I'll have days where just based on what I'm reading, I'll just I'll just be on. <laughs> There's I'm yeah. not tr I'm not trying to be uh, any more than like usual background level, but but some days I just find myself like, man, what the hell got into me? <laughs> right. Right. It's just what whatever's happening. There's like a uh, this tie back a little bit to the the charity streams I was talking about. A lot of those times we do those as like 24 hour marathon streams of us just playing games and stuff. Yeah. And there's a there's a level of sleeplessness where this your brain just switches into this free associ association mode where you're making connections that you would otherwise ne never make. And most of the time, you know, they're not coming out as complete jokes, but you're able to tie things together just as <laughs> right. your brain freewheeling. Yeah, yeah. But there's clearly a kernel of a joke in there. And we're all laughing at it because we're all sleepless, but. Right. I, I think there's, it, it, it's similar to being drunk or otherwise intoxicated where like your filters go to sleep first. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so the 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 parts of the brain that would otherwise be prevented from thinking about that sort of thing like i i definitely do certain kinds of work better when i'm half asleep yeah for sure like if nothing else like it helps me from being it prevents me from being bored <laughs> yeah yeah so any anybody who follows me on twitter will will see me doing this from time to time if you look at my replies the only other thing that comes to mind ken jennings had a book out uh, a couple of years ago called planet funny and I haven't actually read it yet. Have either of you, or either no. of you, aware of that? No, I haven't. No. Nope. Uh, obviously, he's another one of those people who, and and he talks a lot about how do you because people ask him how do you know all this stuff or whatever. So he's he he's written in uh, I forget what his book about being on Jeopardy and about just like trivia knowledge is, but he's but he's talked a lot about and read a lot about that. So I'm uh, I don't know why I haven't picked it up yet. I just there's just so many other things, but I'm really interested in checking out what he has to say. On the Omnibus Project, uh, one thing that struck me was him talking about how uh, people are like oh, amazed that he knows all the world capitals. But he was saying that like if you were obsessed with world capitals as a child, you would also know them all. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, at least for a time, could name all 151 Pokemon in order. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you learn a little song? <laughs> no, I think I just knew. Like I could just say I played enough of the games to be like, yeah, thirty one. I know who that is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's a manageable data set. Yeah. It's it, it is ridiculous what what you remember and like. So my son is almost two, and he his mind is like a sponge. He will pick up things faster than I can imagine doing it. But also, he sleeps 16 hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I wonder, like, if I sleep, then presumably I would need also some sort of like different chemical and like soup in my brain. But if I slept, like, could I get that back, that that learning ability back if I slept 16 hours a day? There's definitely some amount of file organization happening that we don't get to have anymore that children do get to have. It's just right. everything's sorted much better because they get to sleep so much. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I could still – I still retain knowledge like crazy when I was a teenager when I slept like four hours a day. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> maybe that isn't the key. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've actually very, very uh, – not often deliberately set out to learn things. But two, two I can remember as a kid were the spelling of anti-disestablishmentarianism <laughs> and then uh, uh, we didn't start the fire. The lyrics that seems like a challenge, right? And that's you know for for whatever merits or demerits that song has, it's actually not a bad starting point at, uh, for learning a bunch of things. <laughs> you, you can really yeah. branch off of it. You can find out all about the Space Monkey Mafia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if like some mid nineties history curriculum was based around that song. Yeah, oh, that's that's entirely possible. I think the motivation for it was at one point Billy Joel wanted to be a history teacher, and so he that's why he wrote it. That's why that, that song sense. exists. Yeah, yeah. That that also dovetailed nicely with me uh, having where in time is Carmen San Diego for the NES, and it came with that desk encyclopedia. So right back before Wikipedia, that was actually a very useful uh, a useful thing. God, yeah, digging into an encyclopedia when you're six years old is just like everything like <laughs> i can spend hours just flipping through a book of like oh my god there's all this stuff yeah especially that one too it was a sing- it was a single volume so i'm trying to figure out how to do this with my child with wikipedia i wonder if you can download wikipedia and have it locally searchable without giving them access to the internet cuz i don't i definitely want one before the other yeah <laughs> I think, I think there is a way to download Wikipedia. I don't know how well there is like clients for, you know, tapping into that. But right. Yeah. Alexa, download Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's going to happen is your kid is going to uh, become really good at philosophy just from seeing it over and over as he follows the links. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, let's do it. Sounds good. So, my topic is Roblox as the most popular game platform. I don't actually know if it's literally the most popular game platform, but I keep seeing it. It's it's one of those kind of open secrets in the game development space where like yeah. it's like 10 times as popular as any of the consoles, 10 times as many users, you know, and yeah. and if you look at the numbers, like there are maybe a million people who use Steam who've bought more than like two games on it. Whereas it's not uncommon for a new popular, whatever you call the thing you make and sell in Roblox 
to have a million concurrent users. And so it's one of those things where like I and I I've also been trying to figure out how to take my game design skills and direct them at somebody other than gamers. Yep. Uh and so I'm I'm really tempted to look into this thing but I also feel like most likely I'm going to feel just walk away with my tail between my legs as a failure because I don't know how to make games for children. I know how to make games for 40-year-olds. Right. You know? <laughs> that emulate the games that when they were children. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to do some research and deconstruct uh, what's going on with those. Yeah, yeah. Also, like, my skill sets, you know, probably... I don't I don't know if you can do writing in those games. Uh, certainly programming. I don't think programming is, is going to apply. And, like... I've put so many, uh, you know, stat points into those two skills over the years that what's left might not produce an interesting product. I think it's more like I've I've come across this uh, clone of Counter Strike Global Offensive within Roblox <laughs> that is outrageously accurate to the game, like mechanically very very close. Aside from some obvious, like you know, the game isn't tuned for networking in the same way so it's not your bullets miss more often but other than that it's crazy how close it comes mechanically to the real game so there's definitely like some programming or scripting layer available that people have been able to do wild things with mind you like the other levels i've been on have been like look at these 1000 little jump puzzles we made and and strung together so which people love apparently yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe your skills are more uh, applicable to that platform than than you think. I, I wonder if they like dialogue trees in there. <laughs> I bet you could make a dialogue tree in there. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I'm I'm guessing like the the age range of this platform skews low enough that they're not gonna want to do a bunch of reading. Probably not. Alternatively, I don't think they're gonna like the jokes that I make. <laughs> So. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Just make the corniest jokes possible. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, you you have a two year old. Give it three more years, and you'll be a prime five year old comedian. Like, and, and also, like, I'm sure he's going to play a bunch of this game. So I'll that at that point, I'll know all about it. Do either of you have interaction with your children with any other children in daily life? No, not since COVID. <laughs> oh, okay. That disregarded. No, I have a niece that I talk to on a weekly basis, but that's about it. Yeah, so there was a period, and I think a lot of adults go through this, where you might not interact with children through like your whole 20s. Yeah. And then a lot of people are reintroduced by becoming parents, or in in my case, it's through my job. Yeah. Or, or, so, or the volunteering I did that led to my job. And it, it really is interesting seeing uh, seeing what they're into and some of the games that are still relevant to them because new ones keep coming out. And they're all still yeah, playing yeah. Minecraft for some reason. My, Minecraft is big. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I have, I have interacted with children in the past few years, definitely more so than in the 10 years prior to that. Like I remember, um, being very intrigued, like watching, um, my girlfriend at the time watching her, her son play Minecraft was fascinating because he would do this thing where he would like, I think he might have just been learning how to play it, where he would um, destroy a block and then replace it and then right. just do it again for like 15 minutes. 
<laughs> and I think what was happening was that he was trying to figure out if he would do the same thing every time. Wow. How, how young? They're testing them. Yeah. I think he was like four years old. Yeah. Yeah. Roblox has definitely come up as one uh, every time. Do you play Roblox? Like, I let kids know I play video games and that's when it comes up I'm like, mm. <laughs> right. No, as you know, as evidenced by my intro to the show, I, I don't do a lot of the creative stuff. <laughs> thinking about it, but especially when it comes to video games, and and this has come up uh, uh, on the giant bomb folks too. When when a game has an editor or a creation suite of some kind, it sounds really cool, but uh, a lot of people find you know it's not really what I'm into when I'm doing the video game thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the editing suite, I guess it's just for like the the one percent of people who actually want to make something, and then. Everybody else just enjoys the fruits of their labor. Yeah. Mario Maker being one of the biggest (laughs) (laughs) examples of that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I haven't even looked at Roblox. I don't, I'm not even entirely sure what the game looks like in motion. (laughs) Me either, honestly. (laughs) Oh God, we're terrible. (laughs) I've I've played it briefly. And uh, like I said, I did the the Counter-Strike one. uh, Ended up in another world that was a series of water slides. Hmm. That you just hung out in and and went down water slides and and then like I said a, a lot of the other ones I've seen were uh, obbies which are obstacle courses that are just a series of little jumping puzzles mainly like you know like like floors lava type things or uh, pixel perfect kind of leaps across gaps and they they call them obbies yes they call them obbies that is oh. the they all use the same like jump physics yeah I th- I think for the most part you're you know unless you're diving deeper into some of the, I assume, kind of lower level editing, um, your, most of the stuff I, I interacted with was all pretty static physics. I'm going to uh, implement wall jumps and blow their minds. <laughs> yeah, dude, do it. Yeah, so they're basically making I want to be the guy, except maybe on kind of a scaled down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I just saw on Steam, there there is an I want to be maker. I think it's new, or at least it keeps suggesting it to me. Ooh. And it looks like it's free. Where did that go? If it's got that sprite of uh, of Mike Tyson in it, it's got to be free. <laughs> right. If if everything looks like an edit of uh, Mega Man One sprites, then I I want to make her free. Wow, it sounds way more fun to be the creator of those hellscapes than to play one. <laughs> yeah, creating or watching. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Uh, so this is a write-in. Uh, Quill asks this list of things unexpectedly named after people, and then there's a link. I, I have got it open, subtitled an, an incomplete and infuriating list. <laughs> so we have Page Rank, named after Larry Page. My sequel, named after My Widenius. I don't know how to pronounce that name. I hope it's. <laughs> I hope I didn't I think, butcher I, it. I, I think you picked the only uh, uh, work-safe pronunciation. <laughs> Uh, Debian, named after two people named Deb and Ian. Price Club, named after Sol Price. That's the one that pisses me off the most. Yeah, <laughs> that's really awful. It makes you real angry. <laughs> uh, Taco Bell, named after Glenn Bell. Westlake, Los Angeles, named after Henricus Wallace Westlake. Outer Bridge Crossing, named named after Eugenius Harvey Outerbridge. That one seems like the the least surprising to me that that's named after somebody because I've never heard of any other outer bridge. Yeah. But it's also a crossing. 
And it is a bridge. Like, <laughs> But if it were named after Eugenius Harvey Outer Bridge Crossing, that would be impressive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Main Street, San Francisco, named after Charles Maine, <laughs> which okay. is the one that pisses me off the most. Yeah, that, that, that is that's, really infuriating. That sounds like a retro name or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, my question about that is, was the Main Street already like a popular term at the at that point? Or do we just, ha- is that in the lexicon because of this street in San Francisco? Like, It's called Main Street because it was where every all the French people would walk on their hands. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm searching for history of Main Street. <laughs> Good. There's additions from other people. Snowflake, Arizona, named for two people named Snow and Flake. Lake Mountain, named for George Lake. German chocolate cake, named for Samuel Jervid, and Baker's chocolate, named for Walter Baker. And in the Discord, um, someone pointed out that Brown Noise is named after someone named Brown. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that clearly had to come after White Noise though, right? Like, I'm sure that term was already implemented. Yeah. There's a kind of tension to this. There's a, a very main street in Portland is spelled couch. It looks like there's just a couch street, but uh, the one thing to make fun of out-of-towners is when they call it couch street because it's pronounced cooch. It's named after <laughs> one of the founders of the, the town, apparently. Yeah, this is the out-of-towners who need making fun of there. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've heard of some of these. Uh, German chocolate cake and Taco Bell are probably two of the more well-known ones where you, you, you might learn it's named after somebody. Yeah. I can forgive those too. Yeah, well, one thing I one thing I like about Taco Bell is that it it respects the uh, adjectival order of the language uh, tacos are derived <laughs> <Yeah>. from <laughs> the the Romance language order for most adjectives. Yeah, if you're going to appropriate, do it respectfully. Yeah, it's, it's very fancy in English to do it that way. So Taco Bell, fancy restaurant, Demolition Man was right. <laughs> they need to have the opposite of this list that has things that you think are named after people that are, but aren't like Caesar salad, or at least not the person you thought. <laughs> so just so everybody knows, I gave up on searching the history of my Main Street. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> that that sounds like it's lost to time. Some of these, even though they piss me off, you can imagine if you had a name like this, like, and you were going into that business, it's like, well, you gotta, right? Yeah. Or you're doing that thing, like Price Club. As much as much as I groan at it, if you, if that's your name and that's what you're doing, like Wetzel's Pretzels. Yeah, yeah, there you definitely, go. Wetzel definitely was not allowed to enter any other market. Yeah, and that that sort of ties into like uh, what is it called? Aptonyms. Let me type that in. Aptronyms, I think. Aptronyms. Yeah, there it is. Yep. Yeah, I remember reading about that in um, Marilyn Vos Savant's column. It's kind of like the backronym version of an aptronym. So, an, an aptronym from Wikipedia, a source of all knowledge. An aptronym is a personal name aptly or peculiarly suited to its owner. And there's a huge list of examples. The one I always think of is Ryan Longwell, the place kicker in football. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. There are some more of those. I forget if they've come up on here before. Usain Bolt, sprinter. Yeah. Doug Bowser. <laughs> Doug Bowser, the, the current president CEO of Nintendo. Nintendo yeah. <laughs> it's, technically, it's Doug Bowser's monster. <laughs> <laughs> and of Marilyn Voss Savant herself, because her last name is Savant. Oh, yeah. She is cited for having the world's highest recorded IQ. Once again, direct from Wikipedia. Wow. I'm blanking on like examples from The Simpsons, but I know they've done it several oh, times. Absolutely. 
Yeah, one I remember recently in in the episode where up, well, recently, recently in that I was thinking about it or listening to something about it recently. Up, whose uh, octuplets are born, and they end up uh, in a carnival owned by a man named uh, Larry Kidkill. That's good. Yeah, so many of these I feel like are at the edge of everyone's memory of, especially very apt names. Like I feel like everyone has a uh, a local advertiser, some. A uh, business that runs in their hometown that made use of a very apt name, but it's just so common. None of stuck in there for me. I I know uh, the late NASCAR racer Dick Trickle, uh, whose his name always made me laugh, but wasn't exactly an acronym. So <laughs> no, that's just a funny <laughs> it's a name. Good name. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good name. Can they say that on TV? I I was surprised. I mean, yeah. So they can say, like, I know that they can say the word cock if they're referring to a rooster. Right. Yeah. There, there's all those those weird censorship rules. You can say shit as an interjection, but not referring to the substance. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. At least that used to be the rules. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of X, FX stuff lately. And at some point, Cable decided, you know, wait, we're not bound by these and we can just go off the rails. What you're saying is if we all just, like, legally changed our name to fuck, we could get away with anything on TV. <laughs> Yeah, how are they going to identify us? Yeah, it's a proper noun. Come on now. Uh, and, if we're all, and we're all named fuck, so I I am fuck a kiss, fuck a kiss, fuck a Sparta, Sparta fuck. Never mind. It, it's it's somewhere in there. I had to say that. That's not going in the show, but I, I, I had, I had <laughs> we, uh, to say it. In. We, we all change our names to fuck, then start a band called The Fucks. And that's the whole joke. That's I, it. That's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> I feel like that's taken. Oh, uh, are you ready for another topic? Yes, I, I think clearly. Uh, John, your topic is becoming a film nerd. Yep, becoming a film nerd. So, in in my adult life, this has become one of my major hobbies. One of one of the few that I've acquired as an adult. And uh, if you want to become a film nerd, here's the toolkit. Uh, first, uh, get yourself some unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, then get a DVR. And then subscribe to a cable package that has Turner Classic Movies. And then just watch everything. Okay. I was just going to say, <laughs> do you have any recommendations? In terms of individual films? Or classes of films? Or classes of films. Uh, one that it took me a while to, to really dig into. I'd seen some of the key examples. But one I really got into was Film Noir. Okay. Yeah. And, and that, has, that has a lot of fans. Yeah. When the production code was still going and... You could you couldn't get away with as much in movies overtly. They were a source of a lot of adult stories, and and they do sneak all sorts of things in there cleverly without without foul language, without on screen violence. But they can get very dark and very intense. Besides, that's interesting. I'm a I'm a very far cry from a from a film nerd. What is there anything you'd recommend as a sort of under the radar film you feel like was particularly influential, but isn't something like Gone with the Wind or Maltese Falcon or something that was like obviously bigly named, but isn't an important thing for people who consider themselves film buffs to watch? Gosh, um, that's that's one of those questions like, what's your favorite film? After you watch enough, <laughs> it's really difficult to answer. But if you want to see just as kind of a, a plug in the middle, I, I'm also you old so and so on Letterboxd. So if you want to see what I've watched or my uh, short, pithy two-sentence reviews after I've watched a movie, and I have back-cataloged. I have Super Mario Brothers here on 1993. I know I watched that opening weekend of Jurassic Park. 
So you're saying Mario, Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, that's a film. Super that's Mario Brothers, for. you know, a good movie. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, you know, since I've, it was about 10 years ago that I really started watching them. And part of that, I also joined the Something Awful forums around the same time. And the film forum at that time uh, led me to a lot of stuff. And also Netflix still had a ton of stuff on it. Yeah. A couple of film, film noirs I really like. The Narrow Margin comes up a lot. Uh, anything, anything that takes place on a train... Anything that takes place on a train. For some reason, train movies make good movies. So you have The Narrow Margin, which is uh, a police detective protecting a uh, witness on a train uh, from Chicago to California, I think. And then uh, The Tall Target, which is a somewhat based on a true story. It's actually a noir set during Lincoln's presidency. Wow. And it's, it's, it's once again uh, some, somebody trying to protect Lincoln as, as he makes a train journey. So I want to talk about trains. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not the trains. <laughs> so I'm, th- I'm thinking about um, The Last Express, which is a game, an adventure game set on a train. Right. And the reason they set it on a train was so that they could have rotoscoped animation uh, where people were walking like up and down, like w- walking past you and you could only ever see them from one perspective. So they wouldn't have to draw them from all the different angles basically. <laughs> right. Um, and so I think there is a technical reason why they made that artistic choice. And I wonder like, what do you think that might be for a, do you think like just the constraint of motion? Like you, it's, it's harder to yeah. have a chase or to hide that's definitely part of it, and and in the narrow margin in particular, there's a uh, there's a running gag with with a, a fat man walking in the hallway of the train, who mm-hmm. the detective having to move move from one end to the other keeps encountering and hindering him. <laughs> I, that, that, it might also be like you're more likely to run into people over and over again. That's true as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of like an expanded version of a bottle episode. Oh sure, where, where you have where you have limited sets, and you know you can re- you can even to some extent, rearrange them, rearrange one set to resemble another. Yeah, that might also be part of it is just the production cost thing. Yeah. Uh, Another good one, uh, early Hitchcock, The Lady Vanishes is another great movie. Also set on a train? Also set on a train, yep. So, I I found a a Wikipedia article, list of films set on trains. (laughs) Uh, The most interesting thing, I organized it by date. Practically every Marvel flick is on here. Like, I don't remember there being this many trains, but... Oh, they mean There's, like for like two seconds. Oh. Yeah, it must have been, right? Yeah. It's not like the whole thing. Somebody's got to start the internet movie train database. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Go along with the car one. Actually, the train trains might be on that database already. Would not be surprised. But yeah, in terms of uh, watching films, I wish Netflix still had the selection it did. Though I'm sure there's still a lot of gems and, and such on there. You're talking about Netflix streaming, right? Yeah. There, there was a time, there's, there's lots of, obviously people have shown the graphs of like, uh, I saw one recently where they maybe like 10% or less of their catalog is from before the year 2000 or something right. like that. Part, uh, of that's yeah. just, part of that's just because they keep making more things right. to air on there. <laughs> right. But a lot of it is, you know, things disappearing. One thing that I've heard about that I, it turned out not to be a thing in my town, but maybe that'll change. Like maybe if I go yell at librarians, I can change this. Uh, a lot of libraries have deals with uh, streaming sites. Not like the, the the streaming sites that you pay money to, but like right. um, the, the streaming sites that the, the the that the libraries pay money to, so that their 
uh, the library's users can then stream things from that stream, stream movies from that site. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, I don't think any in mine uh, have any, unless you're an educational institution uh, in my area, but yeah, that, that is a thing. I need to, I need to check and see if I have any access to any sort of streaming video through my library, but I did find out recently they have a incredible selection of eBooks when everything shut down for COVID. They're like, Hey, remember that you have access to like so many eBooks available for you to check out and read. And it's a huge selection available to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I actually have, I have watched a lot of films through the library too. Um, at least my system is tied into other systems. I mean, I'm in San Diego and the San Diego County library system is part of like a statewide network of uh, interlibrary loan stuff. But it's a real easy system to use to like nice. to get stuff, and it's tied in with a bunch of public and university libraries. And a lot yeah. of a lot of the time, the university libraries will have out of print stuff, and will be willing to lend it. So that's a good way to see a lot of movies. I was actually able to participate for a few years uh, in the last half decade. Turner Classic Movies was running this promotional online course. It was very much for entertainment, not like a super serious thing. But uh, for various genres of movie, and I was able to participate that in that in a time when I didn't have cable, just through the library, I was able to watch a lot of films that were showing up on TCM at that same time. Yeah, nice. Do do either of you still use Netflix? The this disc mailing service? No, I I never signed up for it. Um, yeah, me neither. Because I, I mean, I, I was a user of Netflix as the disc disc streaming service for you know, like ten years, maybe. And that was great. Like that, that actually did have a very exhaustive selection. Like you would look for a movie and they would have it, but you'd have to wait two days to get it. Right. I feel like they still, I feel like they still have that. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost certain that that service still exists. I know they tried to spin it off and people like laughed at them until they, because of the new name. It's yeah. like, like, I don't know if the, the spinoff still happened, uh, but but the the streaming service has has so surpassed that that I wonder how long we have of uh, of old Netflix. Well, what are they going to do with all the copies of everything they have, too? Right. Yeah. Well, spin it off into Quickster. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's what it was. Uh, yeah, I will say that also the Criterion Channel is really great. I'm not using it enough because they don't have a PS4 app, but. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're into classic movies and lots of lots of stuff, and a lot of classic films are more entertaining than people think. People think they're all stodgy and artsy and stuff, but mm-hmm. even the even the artsy ones are probably funnier than you think. The the thing that that bothers me about old movies is is the um is the acting is like the the non naturalistic acting like they hadn't yeah. invented that yet. I will say what helps is just watching a ton of movies. You get very yeah. used to that. Yeah. And and also uh it's it's perfectly acceptable to watch movies in a scattershot fashion. As you become more familiar with eras of film, uh you do actually see a lot of that evolving and you you know to put your mindset in this place and so on. Right. And they'll they contain enough surprises too that you'll you'll find yourself going, "Oh, wow, you can you can do that." Yeah, so the more you watch movies, the more you appreciate like every individual one. And you can connect them all t- to each other. People who make films are nerds. Oh yeah. <laughs> so they are they are film nerds in particular. That's so why they keep making movies about movie making. Oh yeah, yeah. those are <laughs> those sure. are fun too. That's that's actually a really fun genre, especially when you get down into it. Well, when when you're a film nerd yourself, it is. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, e- even something like uh, uh, Adaptation. Oh, sure, that's that's a great movie. About, and in fact, on the Criterion channel, they did have, occasionally they do have a section on movies about movies. Film years to look out for, just look, look at the years 1939 and 1957. Hmm. For some reason, there seems to be a, a cluster of films there. 39 is often often described as the Annus Mirabilis of uh, filmmaking. You got The Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Stagecoach, um, Of Mice and Men, and a bunch of others. So a lot of classics came out that year. Yeah. The only other thing I think that I want to plug, plugging again, uh, Pat Oswald actually wrote a book. He's also a big film nerd, and he wrote a book about becoming a film nerd, or about the period of his life where he really got into it. And there were a lot. There were some parallels between between his experience and mine. There were a lot of non-parallels too, but yeah. So, <laughs> Silver Screen Fiend: Learning About Life from an Addiction to Film was a pretty good read. Cool. Thanks for the rec. Yeah. Are we ready for another topic? Let's do it. Uh, Nick, your topic is C. Boyardee, Barkley, Shut Up and Jam, Guy Den, and the Failure of Barkley Two. Oh boy. Yeah. This uh this was a a, a later addition to the list for me, but uh. I came across the, the something awful thread that reminded me about this really incredible story. So, if you guys aren't familiar, C. Boyardee or, or Chef Boyardee before he decided to shorten it for avoiding legal trouble, I'm sure. <laughs> um, he was a, a YouTube creator for a while, mainly. He has two uh, very bizarre videos that got linked around a lot, maybe 10 years ago, uh, called Dilbert 2 and Dilbert 3. Um, that are very, very good and uh, everybody should watch those. And then he was heavily involved, uh, to my knowledge, was the primary writer of um, a little RPG maker turned game maker game called Barkley Shut Up and Jam Gaiden. Um, That is perhaps my favorite JRPG of all time. It is the story of what happened. uh, It takes place in in the Space Jam universe. Space Jam happened canonically in, in this game. And uh, Charles Barkley managed to get basketball outlawed by performing a illegal move called the Chaos Dunk and destroyed all of Manhattan. And this takes place in a kind of cyberpunk universe some years after basketball had been outlawed. And yeah, it's like a, a very funny JRPG. I've only played like 15 minutes of Barkley Shut Up and Jam Guy Dan, but it was a very funny 15 minutes. How long is it? Do you know? You know, it's 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 pretty it's pretty short. Like I think first time playthrough would probably take like four or five hours. Okay. So it's not it's not too long, and it's pretty linear. Like it, it doesn't branch off too much. So it's pretty. Uh, it doesn't overstay its welcome, at least. The the comedy doesn't run dry. I'll say. Yeah, Barkley Two was like an early Kickstarter. Yes. So uh, on the success of this, many years after the game, uh, they kickstarted Barkley Two, which was them trying to go legit and make a game that wasn't just assets ripped from other games and real life people who would sue them into oblivion. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, it centers around uh Barkley's son, Hoops Barkley, who's a character in the first one. And uh, he's had his memory erased and it's, it's him trying to, uh, I believe save the universe to some extent. Um, but what really went wild about it. It was a very interesting looking game. They had this this uh, sprite artist, Frankie Smile Show, uh, do all the sprite work for them. And they had this whole concept of it being, uh, instead of a JRPG, it was going to be a overhead kind of twin stick shooter with RPG elements. Yeah. Um, it looked really cool for a while. They had some like booths at PAXs and stuff where you could go through the whole uh, character creation process 
with a real life person acting as a wizard, asking you questions, very Ultima style. <laughs> and at the end, you'd get a receipt with a, a, a long code on it that they said you'd be able to type into the game and import your character as you created it. But then everything went dry for a long time. Was it just they ran out of money or what? They definitely ran out of money, <laughs> but it was also a very mismanaged pro- project. So, on something awful, mid last year in uh, 2019. June 2nd, I have the thread open in front of me right now. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, some of the people kind of uh, started talking about it again, and there's a Kickstarter update from the person who's kind of running the project saying, like, here's the state, here's where everything went wrong, and why we haven't said anything to you guys in the past two years. And CYRD, the guy who's like, the main writer and kind of the big name behind the original apparently wasn't has had been gone since two years into it just kind of dropped off the face of the planet and everybody else had been kind of limping along trying to make this game happen but what's really interesting is they ended up releasing a quote-unquote demo of it like kind of the game as it was with all this really incredible sprite work done and these first couple levels done but the game not being a game like a playable game in the least um, right. It's a really interesting look at like the Kickstarter phenomenon because these guys mainly got way in over their heads because they raised way too much money for what they actually were capable of creating. And also just the the hubris of trying to turn a little joke into a real game. Like, so a little joke in this case, meaning the original is like four or five hours. That's, I think a four or five hour experience is perfectly satisfying Yes. If they'd ship a four to five hour game, if they'd just done that again, I think I don't think people would be complaining. That's the word that I think everyone who had touched the project at all said in that thread. Yeah, like great. why did we keep writing more of what was going to be in this game? So I I, I met um I, I I think this is a person who was like a producer on the project, uh, Liam, mm-hmm. at um at a PAX. Mm-hmm. Cool guy, you know, yeah. he was very friendly very personable. Uh, and he showed me a demo of what they had and told me that the conceit was that there was going to be way too much of everything. <laughs> it's an like awful concept for developing a game, man. Agreed. <laughs> and showed me this example of like, here's this conversation with two... I forget even what the conversation was about, but it was like, yeah, this goes on like 10 times as long as you want it to. <laughs> Uh, that's where I stopped playing the demo was I got into a single dialogue that you cannot wait. You might get like many, many options to get out of it of this guy basically telling you his life story. And I swear to God, the dialogue tree is an hour long with no choices. Like you're just reading through this one character who otherwise has no involvement in the game. Right. It's ridiculous. And the other example was like he showed me like there was a, a directory with like a thousand different gun sprites. Yeah. I yeah. Remember. The artist is really good, and he continued. He uh, completed every sprite that he that was basically intended for him to create, including some thousands of individual gun sprites. Because the game was going to have a gun breeding mechanic, where you would be able to mix your guns together to form new guns. That's really cool, actually. Uh, remember, <laughs> it's really neat. Remember to pronounce the apostrophe in guns every time you say it. Yes, you do have to. You do have to make sure you are saying that with an apostrophe s. Yes. Um, here, I, I wanted to find some choice snippets from some of the leaks that this is a, this is Gotarius on, on something awful. Uh, so he's talking about how, uh, loading times have become like massive in, in trying to load this game up, which was all made in, in Game Maker Studio. 
definitely not a platform intended to make massive, massive games like this. And um, he said, okay, this is about the time when I discovered the Dark Drakkers, which soured the whole thing further. Dark Drakker is a filler character in Barkley 2 who talks about being faster than the snapping maw of a drake. I saw that entire areas of NPCs were just carbon copies of the Dark Drakker, with a different name given to each, aka the illusion of some work being done. Just these 10% finished NPCs basically littering the project to make it seem like it was all good. I suppose the plan was to eventually make them into distinct NPCs, but the problem was that the whole game was plagued by these dark trackers, and they greatly attributed to the shit compile times. I also discovered Andor was told about some of the more hidden mechanics of the game, which can only be described as the concoction of a lunatic. For example, two separate in-game time systems, both dictating quests and NPC behavior, with NPCs also being dictated by quest variables, items the player has, etc., leading to impossible to fix content. Thank the Lord, one of these systems was later discarded. So this, like, this all sounds incredible, assuming that they sh- could ship a product, which they're not going to. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> Right. But like I've I've definitely seen games that are like, yeah, it's this this bizarre, like un- unthinkable development strategy, like development processes. It took 10 years to make the game and the outcome is like not a good game, but super interesting. Like, yeah, I think Duke Nukem Forever is an interesting game. Right. Like very, very like I played it like an archaeologist. Like that's absolutely what i wish i could do so the what's in the demo is there is like a lot of stuff that you can go scavenging into and find a lot of interesting things they did do i want so badly for them to just release the like gms file oh yeah let you crack it open and launch any level you want <laughs> check to see if it's in that the nintendo giga leak <laughs> yeah yeah it, w- it would be really neat to see all the work that they did for well, I think seven years before this all came out, came to light, basically. Right. I'll tell you what, I'm friends with Liam on Facebook. I'll send him a message, see if I can get him to <laughs> give an actual little push. I mean, the whole thread was just people, besides the people who touched it, saying, you know, telling these horror stories, the rest of the thread was just like, guys, just drop it. Like, just give us what you have. We just want to see this mess that you managed to put together and create over these many, many years and many, many people, like they kept bringing new people on who would have to learn everything about all these intricate systems only to touch a few things and leave again. Yeah. It's a very interesting mismanaged project and I'll definitely make sure, uh, Jim, that you get the thread in the, the notes. I hope it's a public thread. It's just in the games form. So, I think yeah, it is. I'm looking at it right now. It doesn't look like it's locked. What's the deal with something awful? Like, I, I remember... When Frog Fractions launched, trying to like go into the something awful forums and read what they were saying about Frog Fractions, and I couldn't. Yeah, they uh, from time to time they would open the for- the games forum and some other forums, and then other times they would close it, and it was kind of like a, a capricious uh, uh, incentive to register and pay the ten dollars. Yeah, show you a little bit of skin and make you pay for the rest. It's very strange and. I know that some of the threads are purposely like, you know, you can only access these if you're a paying member, like the private servers and stuff. You don't want to let people have the passwords to get in there. But they're... Are they deciding per thread? Yeah. I think it's whole forums, but it's just like you don't know when a thread is going to be accessible or not. And there's a whole extra layer of drama on something awful right now. Yeah. It's very fresh as of last month. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? 
uh, just the Lotus Ice is an awful piece of shit, and he's the guy oh. who owns it. But he's a. You can read more on it if you want to on on the site. But it, essentially, the re- resolution at this point is that apparently all of the rights and uh, ownership is being transferred to someone who is supposedly less of a piece of shit. So. Okay, so marginal so You don't have to feel too morally bad about it, about reading a thread on there. And if you absolutely need to purchase an account to get on there, hopefully that's not the case by the time people take a look at this post. But if yeah, it yeah. is, you don't need to feel too bad at this point. You're not giving money to this awful person who does not treat women very well. I was looking at the end of the the, Bar- the massive Barkley 2 thread, which is 309 pages. <laughs> Probably about 75% of it of people asking, where is Barkley 2? <laughs> Because it was an it was an entirely uh, too active thread, considering how much information about the game was actually out there for so long, or not out there. It became a giant joke thread where everybody would just shit post about when Barkley Two was coming. <laughs> but there is a post as of last week from Gortarius uh, about a new game apparently that he has worked on and is out on Steam. Singletopia, yeah, I was gonna say definitely check out. His, if nothing else, he's been a great storyteller. So I don't know if this game's any good, but he isn't to blame for any of this mess, from my <laughs> understanding. So, so he's a, he's a, he's a good guy to support if uh if that game ends up being any good. It's got positive reviews so far. So, so it, at least there's a second thing to come out of this now, uh, a concrete thing rather out of besides the abstract uh just enjoyment of drama. We now have something besides the Cyber Dwarf body pillow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was that a Kickstarter reward? That was, it yeah. Was. It was like the highest tier, one of the highest tier rewards. Yeah, $100, I think. Would it... it was, that was the only the only thing that came out for forever. Yes. <laughs> they had those at the uh, at the booth that they had at PAX, too, because they had extras. So, they were just hanging up. It's just this Cyber Dwarf given a very sensual pose. <laughs> That's all the time we have here on Topic Lords. All right. Uh, Nick, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Nick Pancakes on Twitter. I'm not going to find a whole lot of content there other than me retweeting about how cops are awful and how you should help donate to any of the stuff that we do at Duckfeed. But you can follow me there nonetheless. Cool. And John, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Hey, I'm John. Once again, on Twitter, I am you old so-and-so. On the Topic Lords Discord server, I am also you old so-and-so. And on Letterboxd, if you're a movie fan and want to spy on what movies I'm watching, I am also you old so-and-so. Uh, as That's far as Twitter goes, you know, it's trying to pick the generic funny name. It's it's really hard. Every, I have a hard time picking a name anywhere. Uh, I probably have three or four that I'm active with now, and then we'll see what the future holds. But uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was going for that funny generic name, and somehow that one was free. So <laughs> That's a winner in my book. I like it. Yeah, on Twitter, I, I don't know. I need to I need to get better at Twitter management right now. I don't know if I can follow any more people, but you're free to follow me if you're not a jerk. All right. Uh, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!